This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel app. Did you know the app can help you forecast more than just the weather? With allergy tracking and fluid mapping. So you know when to stay inside and load up on podcast, As well as air quality and UV indexing. So you know when to get outside, load up on sunscreen and podcast. Forecast more of what you love with the Weather Channel app. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I'm the founder of Healthcare Voices, but I'm also a cancer survivor who's gone through the American medical system firsthand. So our experts are here to answer your questions and help you get the healthcare you need. So to start, our first question is from Melanie, who says that my family needs healthcare so bad. We apparently missed marketplace open enrollment for health insurance, and nobody will work with us other than quoting us $400 or more per person. This is unbelievable. So to talk more about what Melanie and their family can do, welcome Alika from Health Sherpa. Thanks, Laura. Um, so generally speaking, if you were not able to apply during the open enrollment period, um, you need a qualifying life event in order to be able to enroll outside of that time. Um, so a qualifying life event could be, um, for example, having recently um, lost insurance through a job or Medicaid or another program, um, having had a change in family size, getting married, getting divorced, having a baby, um, moving. Um, but there are lots of different qualifying life events that might to you. So it's best to you know, speak with a trusted local navigator or broker, call healthcare.gov or your state marketplace, just to make sure that um, to see if one of those events uh, might apply to your situation and let you enroll with um, a subsidy um, outside of that open enrollment uh, period. Um, it's also important to note that there is now a new qualifying life event based on your income. So if your income is um, if you expect it to be about less than around $21,000 a year as a single tax filer or $42,000 as a family of four, um, you can actually apply any time of year as well on the marketplace. Um, if none of those situations apply, it is always worth seeing if you might be eligible for Medicaid. Uh, Medicaid is lower non-cost insurance provided through a state-federal partnership, and um, the income limits uh, change depending on what state you're in, whether you meet other criteria, like, for example, being pregnant, um, having children, things like that. So Medicaid uh, enrollment is also open year-round, and that can be a really great option. Thank you, Alika. And uh, just to uh, go over, the when does open enrollment start for people that aren't qualified for a special enrollment period? usually starts on November 1st, but there is some variation. If you uh, live in a state with a state-based marketplace, a state that runs their own marketplace using, uh, instead of using healthcare.gov, uh, the end dates can often be a little bit different. Generally speaking, on healthcare.gov, you have from November 1st to January 15th. That can vary. So if you're in a state that doesn't use healthcare.gov, uh, make sure to um, go and check out your state's own deadlines. Thank you, Alika. Our next question is from Erica who says that I have Virginia Medicaid now with a disability. I lost access to my long-term specialists out of state. I feel hopeless to continue treatment and complete multi-step surgery <coughs> that was botched and disabled me. What can I do? Uh, Alika, do you have any suggestions for Erica? Yes, and first of all, I'm so sorry you're going through this. It's hard, um, it's, it can be really difficult to navigate a change in specialist with any change of insurance, but particularly if you are in a program like Medicaid that doesn't cover a specialist out of state, that can be really tricky. 
Um, a really good place to start might be um, if you have a um, if there's a advocacy group that um, works with your particular health condition, they might be able to help you find a patient advocate who can hold your hand through that process of finding some new specialists. Um, again, it can be really challenging, but having someone to help you guide through that process um, might help. And our next question is, I've been on Medicaid for a few years and have heard lots of people are losing coverage right now. What should I be doing to make sure I can stay covered? Alika? Great question. And there are many, many people going through this right now. Um, during the pandemic public health emergency, states were not um, permitted to check um, if people were still eligible for Medicaid if they wanted to take advantage of increased funding. Um, so now that that pu pandemic uh, public health emergency is over, um, states are now allowed to check whether people who are enrolled in Medicaid actually still qualify. Um, now, what that means for you is that if you are enrolled in Medicaid right now, it is really, really important to make sure that if you've moved, if your contact information has changed since you first applied, that you reach out to the state Medicaid office and make sure that your information is up to date. That way they'll be able to reach you when um, your turn uh, to be determined, uh, redetermined or have your eligibility checked comes around. Um, states have about a year to do this, so it might be a little time before it's, it's your turn in the queue. Um, but when you do get any outreach from the state, it is really, really important to make sure you respond to that um, as quickly as possible. That'll help them um, check your eligibility and see if you still qualify. Um, if you are eventually determined or if they come back and they say, actually, you're not still eligible for Medicaid, um, what you should do is make sure to go to healthcare.gov or your state's marketplace, um, or again, find a trusted local navigator or broker who can assist you and check if you might be eligible for coverage through the marketplace. Depending on your income, you actually, um, just like with Medicaid, where um, you generally have no premium and very low co-pays, many, many people enrolling through the marketplace qualify for that uh, similar level of coverage where they may not have premiums or have very low premiums and very low copays. So always really worth checking to see what you might qualify for on the market. Thank you, Alika. And what's the difference between a navigator and a broker? Great question. So navigators are um, local, um, generally work with local community organizations. Um, they are not uh, licensed um, brokers, so they can't make plan recommendations, but they um, can help you fill out your marketplace application or an application for Medicaid um, and see what your options might be. Brokers um, generally have a, or they have to have an insurance license and contracts with insurance companies. Um, so they may not be able to sell you every insurance plan in your area, but generally um, have a lot of knowledge about local networks and can make specific uh, plan recommendations. And if people start getting calls and emails uh, from random people offering them a good health insurance plan, how do you know that you're talking to a reputable broker, that what they're offering you is a good plan for you and not some kind of a ripoff? Great question. Um, I would say never buy insurance from someone calling you, uh, cold calling you if you haven't signed up for that information. Um, it is uh, really important um, if you, regardless of who you're working with, um, it's really important to make sure that the plans that you're seeing are the plans that are offered on healthcare.gov or your state marketplace. And the best way to do that is to go and check and make sure, uh, run your own search, make sure that um, those plans are looking uh, similar and are what's called qualified health plans. So these are plans um, that are eligible um, if you apply through your marketplace or your broker is applying um, through the marketplace on your behalf. 
Um, these are plans that qualify for those advanced premium tax credits or what we call subsidies that bring down your monthly costs and potentially some of your out-of-pocket costs as well. They have to cover um, things like free preventive care, uh, pre-existing conditions and services like um, mental health care, pregnancy, uh, those kinds of things. So particularly if you're finding, if you're being offered plans that, uh, for example, exclude some of those key services or have a, uh, don't don't have a limit on what the, what you pay in a year. Um, for example, every marketplace plan has to have a limit uh, on the amount you pay before they pay the rest of the tab. Um, if plans are missing those kinds of key features, uh, they probably are not legitimate qualified health plans. So those are things that really um, you should be aware of when you're shopping for insurance. Great. And if you um, have insurance right now, but something happens uh, to make you eligible, perhaps you're moving states uh, or a life change, like you get married or divorced or have a baby. Uh, how do people then adjust their health insurance to reflect their new circumstances? Great question. So if you are moving between two states that um, use healthcare.gov, it's really straightforward. All you do is you log in um, or your work. if you work with a broker, they'll they'll help you do this. Um, where you go into your application, you change your uh, address, change any um, information that, that has uh, changed, whether that's, for example, your family information, um, your income, other life events, um, and then that uh, application will update. If you are um, in a state that uses one type of exchange, like healthcare.gov, or um, now you're moving to, say, California or New York, or um, a state that has their own system, you might have to do a brand new application, but make sure that you cancel your last plan. The nice thing about working with a broker is often um, uh, they can actually, they know how to navigate those situations and can make sure you're tying up some of those loose ends. Thanks. And if somebody is moving close to the end of the year and they just don't want to deal with changing their insurance until the next year, uh, can they just keep their plan in their old state for a little while? The thing about marketplace plans is they will not cover um, care outside of your state. Um, so uh, it's really important to make sure that you have coverage in the state where you actually are, are working, uh, not to mention it's, it's important to make sure the information on the marketplace application, because that is uh, sort of your, an official application for subsidies, really important to make sure that information is um, correct and you'll be asked to sign lots of attestations uh, saying that it's correct. But again, marketplace plans, just like um, we had a call, uh, caller or a question earlier, um, but Medicaid generally don't cover non-emergency care outside of that state. So really important to make sure that you um, have that continuity of coverage. Thank you, Alika. And now I'm delighted to introduce our special guest for today. Jared Walker is at Dollar Four, and he'll be talking about applying for hospital charity care. So welcome, Jared. Hey, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us, what is Dollar Four and what do you do? Yeah, so Dollar Four is a nonprofit organization. Uh, we are eliminating medical debt for people um, by enforcing hospitals' charity care and financial assistance policies. So um, we try to automate that process, make it easy, uh, make it known for, for patients. Uh, and we have eliminated a little over $27 million of medical debt for people uh, so far around the country. So that is what we do. Thanks. And what is this about hospitals have to offer charity care? Yeah. So charity care is a federal law that went into effect with the Affordable Care Act. So this has been around for over a decade um, and it requires nonprofit hospitals, which is most in America, to have charity care. Um, charity care is 
free or reduced care for people within a certain income range. So if you are within a certain income range, hospitals are legally required to waive your medical bills. Um, and the big problem here is that, surprise, uh, hospitals don't do a great job of telling people about these programs. So we have millions and millions of people that are declaring bankruptcy or on payment plans for bills that they actually don't have to pay. Um, and we are trying to help fix that. And so what are the biggest obstacles or misconceptions people have about charity care? Maybe why they haven't applied? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think the biggest obstacle would be just lack of knowledge. People don't know that it is an option for them. So a lot of people um, will go into the hospital uh, and they get a big bill and they panic. Um, And hospitals, you know, they, they might have posters about charity care in the ER, or you might get a a letter with some fine print on the back of the bill with, you know, the numbers. So a lot of times people will miss it. Um, and also like when you're going through a medical emergency, uh, you're typically not reading posters in the ER. So it's, it's, uh, not really accessible, uh, and known is one of the the big obstacles. Um, you know, most hospitals in America require you to fax your applications in. So even if you do know about it, a lot of the times, um, just the requirements to apply are kind of annoying and and not accessible. Uh, so it it really is. Um, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of obstacles when it comes to it. Um, first, you have to know about it, and then trying to navigate the system and fill out the paperwork and provide proof of income and get it to the hospital. Um, those are some examples uh, of of obstacles. And I think misconceptions would be. Um, most people just assume that it's not for them, that they don't qualify, that they make too much money. Um, and these charity care policies can be pretty generous. Um, a lot of times people think that, you know, if they're not, if they're not eligible for, uh, you know, SNAP benefits or, or food stamps, they're not eligible for charity care, but usually charity care is, is much more generous. Um, and I always tell people like, there's no harm in seeing, uh, and, and checking. We have a free eligibility screener on our website where you can put in your household size, your income, what hospital holds the debt, and it will tell you immediately if you're eligible at your hospital. So um, I think that don't count yourself out <laughs> too soon. See, you know, no harm in, in trying. Thanks. And Alica has some questions for you. Great. Um, I think my question is just to sort of go a little bit off what you were just saying. Um, are there specific income ranges that hospitals are required to offer charity care? Or does it really vary from hospital to hospital? Yeah, so great question. And I would love to say <laughs> that there's a standardized, uh, you know, practice out there. Unfortunately, there are over 7,000 hospitals in America and all their policies and all their applications are different. So um, that is where the value of our database comes is where people can see immediately if they're eligible because we've read all the policies we put into a database. Um, I will say on average, hospitals will waive hundred percent of your medical bills. If you are at or below about 250% of the federal poverty guidelines. Um, and also with that, like I'm in the Pacific Northwest. So in Oregon and Washington, they will waive hundred percent of your medical bills if you're at or below 300% of the federal poverty guidelines. And then there's usually a sliding scale for a discount up to 400%. Um, it usually goes off like cost of living in the area. So if you are in New York or San Francisco, they might go all the way up to 800% of the federal poverty guidelines. Um, 
And if you are in somewhere where median income or cost of living is lower, uh, then it might be, you know, 150 to 200%. So it, unfortunately, it varies uh, a lot, but um, you can quickly see if you're eligible. Uh, That's awesome. And uh, to your point, a lot higher than I, I might have expected. Um, but uh, curious to hear as well, are there um, particular rules hospitals have to follow around how they advertise? Do they have to tell you if you might qualify or is it really, you know, stick that poster up in the ER and hope for the best? Um, some states have laws around how they should tell people about charity care. Um, I will say that a lot of hospitals might not even follow those. So like uh, there is, you're supposed to like make a, you know, good faith effort to get this information out there. And a lot of hospitals take that as, yeah, posters in the ER or, um, you know, putting a number on the back of a bill. Um, there are some like in Oregon, um, they will have, uh, they passed a law in 2019 that said, before you can send a patient to collections, you have to make sure that you vet them for charity care first. So a couple of states have done this um, where, where they try to implement that. But again, we find that hospitals um, need reminding. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's, I feel like that's kind of one of our biggest things that we do is just try to get the information out there because we know that um, it's a struggle. Mm -hmm. And so people should go to dollar4.org to look up their the information? Uh, yeah, if, they, if, if someone wants to see if they are eligible for their hospital's charity care program, they can go to dollar4.org slash help. That will go directly to our eligibility screener. It'll ask you uh, four or five questions, and it will tell you if you're eligible. And um, if you are, then you will be given two options. Uh, the first one is uh, self-advocacy. If you don't want to share your personal information with us, you just want to, you know, get videos and, and how-tos and tips and tricks, we can guide you through that process and answer questions along the way. Uh, and then we also have full service where we will um, get a patient advocate, uh, help you complete the paperwork and submit it to the hospital and advocate on your behalf. Both options are completely great. And so your work just applies to nonprofit hospitals, right? So what about for-profit hospitals and uh, maybe standalone clinics with doctors? Great question. So yes, um, there is a federal law that requires nonprofit hospitals to have charity care. That being said, a lot of for-profit, in fact, most will have charity care policies as well. So like HCA, um, their for-profit hospital system. They have charity care programs and we have helped people uh, get medical bills away from that hospital. Um, so we have that in our screen. If they have a policy, if they have a charity care policy, we have it in our database. Um, and sometimes, uh, most of the time, for-profits will, will also have those. But yes, nonprofit hospitals are, are required to have them. Um, standalone clinics. Um, any of these, you know, like if, if you have physical therapy, or you have to go uh, to, to a, a separate provider, most likely you will not have uh, a charity care option. So this is going to be hospital specific. And one thing about that is if you go to a hospital, uh, we all know that you might get a hospital bill, a imaging bill, radiology, anesthesiologist, surgeon, like you might get a whole bunch of different bills from all the other providers that saw you within the hospital. Um, if you are approved for charity care at that hospital, you can usually um, take that approval letter and send it to all the other providers within that hospital, and they will honor it at the same level that the hospital does. And we obviously, we, we help with that as well. So if you get approved for charity care and you have other bills at the same facility, usually you can get those waived. 
Great. And so what should people do? A, a lot of times it's an emergency. You go to the hospital because you need to right now. But sometimes it is urgent, but not same day problem. Should people be thinking about trying to apply for charity care before they use the service? Or is this always something you do after? So I would say most of the people that we help, it is after. Um, a lot of times people aren't thinking ahead in that way. Um, but there are a handful of people that say, you know, hey, I have a surgery that's scheduled and I'm going to apply. And you can do that. Um, think of charity care as like a status. When you are approved for charity care, you're usually a approved for a certain time frame. Sometimes it's three months, sometimes it's six months. And any medically necessary uh, care that you receive at that facility would be covered under charity care for that portion of time. Um, and then once that time is over, then you can you would have to reapply and provide proof of income again and, and make sure that, you know, there hasn't been a big change in, in income. Uh, so you can do it beforehand. It's just the reality is, is a lot of people are going to wait until they get the bill. It is usually an emergency um, and not something that they're planning. Mm -hmm. And if somebody has some kind of chronic condition and maybe they are using hospital services regularly, uh, is there any kind of limit to how much charity care you can get? It sounds like they're, you're limited by a time period, but you could reapply if you need to continually get care. Uh, yes, we um, we do have like, I guess, repeat customers. That kind of sounds weird, but uh, we do have patients that will use uh, our services to apply and then the six months will end and they apply again. Uh, that is no problem. There's, there's no cap on charity care. Um, if you are still within the income requirements, uh, the hospital would have to honor that. Great. And hospitals don't have a charity care budget that runs out, right? That you should be trying to get your medical procedures done earlier in the year as opposed to the end of the year. Yeah, correct. And that's a that's another misconception I should have mentioned is a lot of times people think that this is like a pile of money that will dry up, you know, if you don't get to it first. Uh, that is not the case. Um, I've never heard of a hospital running out of charity care. Uh, they they hospitals every so every so often they do something called a community needs assessment where they um, that's kind of where they set the standards for what the income thresholds will be and and how they determine charity care. And once that's established, um, they can't, you know, that there's not a cap on it. So if you are within that income range defined, um, you should be eligible and get, get charity care. So it is not something that, you know, first come, first serve, like get to it quickly. Um, it is going to, you know, it's not going to run out. Okay. And if somebody is stuck in the process right now, uh, they're fighting uh, for charity care from their hospital and the hospital is not helping them out, is denying them or being non-responsive, is where they should start by going to dollar4.org slash help? Is that the first place they should go if they need help in fighting these battles? Yeah, definitely that or go to our contact page and, and send us a specific message about your case if you're like kind of in the middle of it. Um, if you started at our screener, we would, it would kind of take you back to, to step one. Um, if you're already halfway through it and you're just waiting on a response from the hospital, which happens a lot, um, then you can send us a message and, and we can help with that. Um, a lot of times, you know, we hope to try and get these resolved in four to six weeks. Um, that doesn't always happen because sometimes hospitals, I mean, I've had it take as long as eight months, uh, which is really unfortunate, but it happens. Um, and I, I think you said it earlier, um, sometimes you just need an advocate. 
You just need somebody to be in your corner to help you through this process when you're going through a medical emergency, um, you know, dealing with all the bills and waiting on hold and doing that. It's just might be outside of, of your capacity. And that's fine. Uh, that's that's why we exist. Great. And so uh, if somebody has already tried to get charity care and got turned down, they, you know, even though they believe they are eligible, they should contact dollar four for help. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we appeal decisions all the time. If you are wrongfully denied by the hospital um, or they're asking for additional information or um, you're having trouble, absolutely reach out. Um, and uh, we, we, we'd be happy to help with that. Um, and yeah, hopefully not too many people are being denied when they're eligible. <laughs> so uh, that, that's one of our other goals is to help people get, you know, people that are eligible should, should be approved and approved. And I think you mentioned earlier that uh, some nonprofit hospitals are not being especially forthcoming with their charity efforts and so on. Uh, for the uh, people watching and listening today, is there anything they can or should be doing to push their local hospitals to be more charitable? I mean, I think that there are the classic, like, you know, write, write the letters and, and uh, we do something on our social media. We, we have a, a decent social media audience. And when we find a hospital that is doing particularly bad, uh, we will get their attention online. Uh, so you can follow us and and follow uh, follow those stories. I mean, every time we've done it, the hospital responds and fixes the problem. Uh, hospitals do not like uh, bad press. And I think that getting involved in those conversations and tagging the hospital and um, going to their page and commenting and um, is it actually does help. It helps uh, tremendously. And, and we've seen it time and time again, where hospitals will change the decision or, or change the policy even uh, because of, of press. Thank you, Jared. And is there anything else you would like our audience to know about hospital charity care? Um, I would say there's no shame in getting a big hospital bill. A lot of times people think that, uh, you know, it's something that it's like, it has nothing to do with something that you've done. Uh, it has everything to do with a bad system. And um, don't let that stop you from seeing if you're eligible for charity care. Um, and you can go to our website and see if you're eligible. At dollar4.org. Yes. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, please call or text in your health insurance and healthcare questions for future shows at 202-838-6837. Thanks for listening. This is Care Talk.